in that first week. It was purely just my really amazing friends that bought flowers off me. In the second week, it was friends of friends. I think it was about the third or fourth week I started to see orders come through from names that I didn't recognise. From that point, it just sort of snowballed. Hey, welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where we chat to ambitious women about what it takes to become an overnight success. Huge spoiler alert, the overnight success does not exist. We're your hosts, Caitlin, Anna, and Maeva. Now get comfy, fellow Lady Brains, and ride with us to Ladyland. Our next guest, Courtney Ray, began her career occupied in the fields of accounting and finance, tapping away on Excel and PowerPoint until her honeymoon getaway in the US inspired a light bulb moment in a completely unrelated industry, flowers. In fact, Courtney identified that the traditional business model of the flower industry was fundamentally flawed due to high storefront costs and hard to forecast perishable inventory. So she immediately jumped into action and built a completely new model for a flower delivery business. One curated bunch of flowers, ordered online and delivered same day direct to your door. In hindsight, it makes sense. Courtney grew up on a farm surrounded by gorgeous gardens and freshly cut blooms. So it seems plausible that she managed to take one of her passions and turn it into a hugely profitable business. Enjoy. So most of my job involved sitting in front of a computer, in front of an Excel spreadsheet, literally crunching numbers for like 12 hours a day. I pretty quickly realised it wasn't something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But at the same time, it did give me a lot of opportunities. So straight out of uni, you're kind of thrown in the deep end and you're out meeting clients and you're out building pitch books and working on strategies for enormous organisations that you never dreamed of working for. Like, although most of the role was literally number crunching, (laughs) it was kind of an exciting and interesting place to work and, and it really gave me a good sort of training ground for I guess, how to manage myself in front of clients and how to work in a team and how to meet tight deadlines and shifting priorities and all of that sort of stuff. When you were in that consulting role, like, did you think that there was a really clear trajectory and did you think you were going to follow that trajectory or did you always have in your mind, I kind of want to do something myself? At school and uni, I kind of always had this vision that I was just going to be this super businesswoman. And so when I started at KPMG, there's a pretty clear path to partnership. And in that first year, for sure, like that was my dream. Like when you go in there, most people that go in there kind of look at the partnership and think, that's going to be me one day. I've got to somehow get there. So I definitely in a million years never thought I'd do something on my own. I just sort of thought I would follow the sensible route and work my way up. So what about floristry? Where, how, like, how did that enter the picture? Yeah. So although I always envisaged myself being this uber successful businesswoman, I also equally really loved flowers and I grew up on a farm. And so I was always kind of surrounded by, my mum had, still has to this day, the most incredible garden, like literally acres and acres of garden around our house. And even on my way to school, we grew up near some flower farms. So getting to school every day, we'd drive past these flower farms. And I just always loved flowers. And so even when I was at uni, I did com law at uni, but as a 
break from the mental strain. I would enroll in little floristry courses and just sort of do it as a creative outlet. So I never in my wildest dreams thought I would become a florist, never, ever, but I always just loved it as a hobby, just as a little fun thing to do, whether it was a side, like a little side course whilst I was at uni or just picking flowers in my mum's garden. I just always loved them. So the idea for Daily Blooms came about on your honeymoon, I believe. (laughs) Can you talk us through that? Like how did did you come up with it? So I got married and obviously took time off to get married and go on our honeymoon. And just on that time off, just in the pit of my stomach, I just knew I really, really didn't want to go back to work. And it was more than like I know when you go on annual leave normally, you sort of think, oh, I just want to be on holidays forever. I don't want to go back to work. But it was kind of more than that. Like it was really just this gut-wrenching feeling that I just can't keep doing what I was doing. And the thing is, it was the work that I was doing, it was crazy hours. Like I was just working all the time. So it wasn't like I was doing nine to five and then coming home and doing what I liked. It was really full on. And yeah, I just knew I didn't want to do it. And on our honeymoon, we went to the States And when we were there, we went to San Francisco and we saw that there was this incredible business, Farm Girl Flowers, doing floristry, but in a different way to what I'd ever seen it done in Australia. Her idea was to use locally grown flowers, bring in all different types of seasonal flowers and just create the daily arrangement, which I just thought was genius because you have no waste, you can keep your costs low and you can always make sure that your customers are getting the very freshest flowers. They're not getting stale flowers that have been sitting there for a week. And I saw that and I just thought, oh my gosh, that like, why is that not here? Why is that not in Australia? It's so clever. And I guess having a love of flowers and kind of understanding that the traditional florist model just didn't make a lot of economic sense. I just saw that and I thought, that's what I've got to do. So we saw that pretty early on. So for the rest of the honeymoon, we were just Um, My husband also works in finance. We were just talking about the idea and just going through various iterations of how we could actually make it work in Australia. And so I got back, quit my job and started it up like a few weeks later. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind. So when you were on your honeymoon, did you actually build the business model? Because it's a completely different model, as you said, to the traditional floristry business model. Talk us through that. Like what elements did you change? Traditional florists, they have a shop front and if you want to have a, like most of them pay crazy rents because you want to be on the prime straight. And if you've got a shop front, you have to pay for staff to be there regardless of whether you've got customers or not, you need to be open. You also need to carry flowers and flowers are a perishable item. So you've got to fill your store with inventory that will only last for about three days. So if you don't sell it, you're stuck with You've just got to throw it out. It's, yeah, cra- like crazy. <laughs> and then if you don't sell it out, you're selling flowers that are pretty much dead and that's not really going to go down well with repeat business and, and making sure that your customers are happy. So we could kind of identify the problems. Like the problems were really clear to us. So it was just about going through those problems and figuring out how we could actually solve for them. So the big one was inventory. And that was pretty, when we saw what Farm Girl Flowers was doing and not offering customers a lot of choice, but just giving them, giving customers 
the pick of the day, that sort of solved that problem. So straight away we knew that we just needed to bring flowers in and create something that was beautiful and something that was different to what a lot of the other online florists were doing at the time. So when I started it, there weren't actually a lot of online florists. Like it wasn't really a big thing. There was sort of the interflora, roses only, the really big brands, Mm. but there wasn't anything doing kind of bespoke, more sort of natural arrangements. We just knew that we needed to do something that was going to be appealing to customers, but also not carrying all that inventory. And yeah, we kind of just went from there. It's actually kind of crazy that no one had done it before in Australia. Like it's so glaringly obvious. It was tricky at the start. So when we did bring it here and I did open up, people didn't understand it. And so every single online order I had for that first kind of six months was followed by an email saying, hi, uh, I just selected a bunch of flowers, but can I actually have six red roses? And I'd have to write back. I sort of had this template. No, sorry. Sorry, that's not exactly how my business model works. We bring in local flowers every day. We create a beautiful bunch. There was a six-month period where there really was a big educational process with my customers, teaching people what it was, getting the sort of message out there of, you know, you can't just pick six red roses because we don't necessarily have six red roses today. So yeah, it was, it's crazy that it hadn't existed, but I, yeah, it was, it was also tough because it hadn't existed educating people as to what, to what the business actually was. And how did you educate your customers or potential customers in those first six months? So we use social media a lot. Funnily enough, like when I started the business, I didn't understand anything about social media. In fact, I didn't even really know what Instagram was. I think it was slight, like a little bit before it became the sort of huge thing that it is now. So I think using social media, posting a photo every single day so that people got the idea that at 7am every single day I was going to post a photo of what the flowers were and also at that stage, I was putting a photo, a different photo on the website every single day, showcasing what the day's photo was. I was also sending out an email every single day to our customers saying, hey guys, this is today's bunch. So it was a bit of an overload, actually. I, I think I was probably just sending the message out a little bit too much, but I, I sort of felt like because it was a bit different, I really needed to Go over the top. Go over the top with, yeah, yeah, what we were actually doing. Drive the message home. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, we, like, worked on getting a bit of media coverage and and that sort of helped as well. So you came back, you resigned, you started (laughs) the business. Talk us through that. What were the steps? Honestly, I had no idea what to do, but I knew that I needed a website and a friend of mine who had a business. I had one other friend that owned a business. So I asked him, what do I need to do? And... He said to me, and this turned out to be terrible advice in hindsight, (laughs) but he said to me at the time, build your own website because then if it breaks, you know how to fix it. And, yeah, I have no web design sort of background. Like to me it was like trying to speak Another language. Another language. No, I've never yeah. heard that advice before. Yeah, so no, it wasn't great advice. Mm, no. He's actually a very smart boy, but that was just <laughs> not helpful. <laughs> anyway, I did what he told me to do. He was my only point of reference, so I did what he told me to do, and I built this terrible, terrible website. And then, yeah, built the terrible website. I knew that I needed photos and content, so went out. My husband stood behind the camera and clicked photo, like profile photos and like photos of different flowers. 
did a write-up and I had another friend who worked in PR and she read my write-up and said, Courtney, this is absolute rubbish. So she basically rewrote it for me. And then I needed somewhere to work. And at the time I was living in an apartment and I just knew that we couldn't really run a flower business from an apartment. But I also knew I just, I'd quit my job and I didn't really want to invest a lot of money in this business because I didn't necessarily see it going anywhere. I just sort of thought, you know, I'm just going to give it a go. And if it doesn't work, that's fine, but I don't want to lose a lot in the process. So I actually rented a space in a storage shed. And that's clever. Yeah, ran, it ran the business from the storage shed. We just set up some workbenches. I had a laptop and a printer and some buckets. So just kind of operated out of this rather depressing storage shed with my really dodgy website that I'd built for myself. And yeah, that was about it. Just started, like literally just started, told some friends that I was starting. And in that first week, it was purely just my really amazing friends that bought flowers off me. And then in the second week, it was friends of friends. And then in the third week, I think it was about the third or fourth week, I started to see orders come through from names that I didn't recognise. From that point, it just sort of snowballed. And what did your day look like in the early days? I imagine you would have had to get up super early to go source the flowers. Yeah. Yeah. So in the early days, it was really tough, actually. I'd be getting up at about 3 a.m., going out to the flower markets. And also at that point, I didn't have any relationships with suppliers either, which you build over time. So I was going to the flower markets, trying my best to get the best flowers that I could for the day, going back to my storage shed, creating the bunch, taking it to a little area that I had set up to take photos, posting that photo to social media, sending it out in the email, putting it on my website, Then at that point, it was about seven o'clock in the morning. I'd go get a coffee, wait for the orders to come in and just start making all the flowers myself. And then as the orders would come in, I would handwrite all of the notes and messages that went on the flowers. I did have a courier company that I was using at the time. So I'd then book in the drivers to come and collect the flowers. And I'd just keep making them as I went along and That would all sort of finish up at about two o'clock in the afternoon, at which point I would go home, put my marketing PR hat on and just start sending out emails to newspapers and PR companies and influencers and just anyone I could think of to try and get some traction. And then I'd have dinner and then I'd do some customer service and then I'd go to bed and do it all again. And it was full on. I think back to that now and it actually, it just, oh my gosh, it just makes my heart race. It was crazy. So how long were you doing that in the early days? How long were you working those long hours? Those crazy hours. hours. So I started the business basically in the 1st of February, around that sort of time, and I got pregnant in March. So I had a pretty clear deadline of when I needed to stop doing those crazy hours So realistically, I think I probably did it for maybe six or seven months. During that time, I had also got some employees on, but of course it takes time to actually train up employees. And yeah, so I probably did those crazy hours for, yeah, six or seven months, which was made harder. Getting up at 3am when you're pregnant is hard. I was going to (laughs) say, I mean, did you, 
was that an unexpected? Oh yeah, totally unexpected. Yeah, you. Totally oh, I mean, like you're starting that. a new business, and then you're like, oh, I'm gonna have a baby as well, just to you know, yeah, just to just add, add that, to, yeah, add that yeah. throw that in yeah. the mix. No big deal. Um, yeah, no, totally unexpected. Yeah, and that would have spurred you on, obviously, it, to help set, yeah, some, some foundations to well, help it. I actually thought to myself, I either need to grow this business so fast that I can bring on people so that they can be running and operating the business within nine months, or I might as well just finish it now and pack up and go back to my cushy corporate job. So I kind of figured, yeah, that they were my two options. And yeah, I just thought I'm just going to give it everything and grow it as fast as I possibly can. So So that's what I did. (laughs) So what did that look like? What did that Um, look like from the crazy hours to going, oh, my God, I'm pregnant, I need to figure this out? What did you practically do to help speed up the growth of the business? I brought on employees sooner than what I would have done otherwise. So I think I brought on my first employee after about three months and then within the first six months, I think I had four employees within six months which is definitely more than what I would have done. In fact, I think if I hadn't have got pregnant, I probably wouldn't have brought on anyone for that first year. I probably would have tried to push through and have done everything myself. But um, bringing employees on was the best thing I could have done because it meant I could step out of the business. I didn't necessarily have to be doing – I wasn't making the bouquets anymore. I wasn't doing the customer service. I was purely focused on growth and how I grow it and – getting the message out there and getting the brand out there. And so I think that was something that was a massive game changer to me. And I thought at the time it was a negative, but it turned out to be the best thing I could have ever done for the business. I'd love to know more about some of the marketing initiatives or the brand initiatives that helped to grow your business. You said that brand partnerships were critical in building brand awareness and growing the biz. Can you tell us more about that? Pretty early on, I realized that I didn't want to just be a generic florist. I wanted to be a brand. Like I wanted our florist to actually be known by its name and for standing for something. And I think because of that, we attracted a lot of brand partnerships because we we kind of established ourselves as a brand and therefore other brands wanted to work with us. And it was awesome. I think maybe once the business had been going for about six months, we did this incredible partnership with Maybelline and it was just a game changer. I'd never, to be honest, I'd never even really heard of brand partnerships or collaborations. It was all new to me. But um, we did this great collaboration where they gave all of our customers a lipstick and they had just developed this lipstick with floral names. So I think there was, you know, peony pink and rose red and a few other sort of flower names. And they gave us these amazing lipsticks to give to our customers and we created bouquets that were in the same tones as their lipsticks so it's just this the collaboration just worked it was just so much value add for our customers and it got a lot of social media attention because of course who doesn't like flowers and lipstick it's like a match made in heaven like that just got us so much attention on social media and even media I think from that we just managed to get some great partnerships We did a few more things with Maybelline. We did things with Cotton On. At the time, Bella Box was a really big Mm -hmm. brand. In fact, it's still a big brand. Uh, So we did things that really suited our customer base. We were able to work with a a lot of brands and just kind of deliver 
a bit of a value add. And it, yeah, it was huge. And did you go out and seek those partnerships and pitch to these brands with your ideas or did they come to you? Yeah, no, I was very lucky. <laughs> they came to me. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't really understand the whole partnership thing yeah. at the time. So it was very lucky that they came to me. But then I was able to say, hey, you know what, if you've got these flower colours, let's make special bouquets that match that. Or yeah, we tried to actually tweak our products and and do fun little things that kind of meant that both businesses were getting a value add from it. I'm interested to hear a little bit more about your growth. So you've recently expanded into Sydney. Yep, yep. There's like a strong correlation with my business (laughs) with me having a baby and doing something significant with the business. So with my first child, I started the business. When I decided to launch Sydney, I simultaneously, I launched Sydney two and a half weeks later, I gave birth to my second child. So there's kind of a bit of a partnership with that. But yeah, so Sydney's been going now for about three years. Melbourne was just growing so quickly. I just thought it was, I might as well um, keep the momentum going and launch into Sydney. And yeah, so I did that three years ago. And did you replicate the uh, setup that you had in Melbourne? How did you actually physically go about setting up in another state? Yeah, so the thing about flowers is that you actually need to be, you actually need to have a workshop in the location that you're selling flowers. So, yeah, it was pretty much a carbon copy. So we went up, we found a warehouse that worked. I found a great team of florists, customer service people. And then the difficult thing really was finding the right suppliers that worked for us and building those relationships, which takes time. And did you have to hire uh, you in Sydney, an operations manager or someone who would go out and source the flowers and post about them online? And Yeah. I don't have another me in Sydney, but I have a manager who kind of runs the day-to-day operations. And she manages a team who put the flowers together, who organise the customer service, who uh, she runs the social media in Sydney. And then we run all of our flower supply through the Melbourne. Melbourne's our head office and we run our flower suppliers through the team in Melbourne. And how did you build awareness in Sydney in the early days? Because you've got a separate Instagram handle for Daily Bloom Sydney, which obviously makes sense because the flowers are going to be different. different. How did you sort of build that awareness and build your customer base in a completely new city? So that took a bit more time than I'd hoped actually. With Melbourne, I think we were the first business to be offering a daily arrangement. So it was a new concept and we got a lot of marketing because it was new and different. Whereas by the time I got to Sydney, which was two years later, there were already people in Sydney doing the same thing. So a lot of that easy press coverage that we got in Melbourne, we didn't get in Sydney. So it's been a definitely been a slower burn. And actually, I would say it's only been the last year that we've really noticed that it that the business has really ticked up. So it was kind of just a slow start and leveraging the audience that we had in Melbourne. So making sure that our customers in Melbourne were fully across what we were doing in Sydney, offering promotions for um, our existing customer base to buy things in Sydney, trying to do smaller collaborations with smaller, um, more boutique Sydney businesses and reaching out to influencers in, who were specific Sydney people. So mums and mummy bloggers and people who own small businesses and just really trying to be more grassroots and personal in our approach to Sydney. What have been some of the other challenges that you've experienced as you've scaled the business? Because I'm sure 
there have been others. Yeah. How have you overcome them? Um, oh my gosh, there are challenges every single day. I, to this day, feel like I have no idea what I'm doing most of the time. Um, Imposter syndrome. <laughs> like I genuinely have no idea what I'm doing, just completely making it up as I go along. But yeah, so for me, the thing that I'm sort of grappling with at the moment is, um, so we recently launched Geelong and we've got Sydney, we've got Melbourne, and I'm now looking at other locations in Australia. And I just am starting to get this sense that things are falling like a little bit outside of my control. Like I don't have my fingerprints on everything anymore. The team now have things that they run. And it means that I sort of don't ever feel like everything's under control. Like things can happen. I don't know about it. And it's just kind of getting comfortable with letting things just sort of happen and trusting your team. And yeah, that's kind of a big challenge that I'm facing at the moment. Like just sort of feels like things are snowballing and I'm not across everything. And it's it's a bit scary, actually. It's really interesting that you say that because Vera from Nimble said the exact same thing mm-hmm. last week. She's like, we are at a point now where we're getting big and we have to let go of things because we can't be across every single piece of the business. It sounds like you're experiencing the same sort of thing. Are you considering kind of some more strategic hires to kind of take some of that burden or responsibility from you and help you kind of really step change the growth? Is that in the plan? Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that actually, because for the last probably three weeks, I've just had it in my head that I do actually need to do a bit of an overhaul with our company structure. At the moment, it's very flat. Mm. So everyone, we've got a couple of managers, but mostly it's quite flat and everyone, yeah, we just don't have a great reporting system. And I just am starting to think, you know what, I do actually need to do a bit of a company overhaul, get um, some clearer departments or teams for whatever whatever you want to call it. And yeah, and outsource a bit of the the stuff that I've always kind of taken care of. So just on challenges, I know that you've spoken about an earlier challenge that you had around bringing your courier service in-house because there were issues with the flowers getting to their end um, destination in good condition. Yep. For the first year of Daily Blooms, or maybe even for the first two years, we used an external courier provider to deliver all of our flowers. And that made sense at the time because back then when I was doing everything, I couldn't possibly add on delivery to my already ridiculous job title. So using a third-party courier system was awesome to start with. But as we went along, I just realised that our flowers, we were getting complaints from customers and I couldn't understand it because back then we were inspecting every single bunch that went out the door to make sure it was absolutely perfect. And they would send us photos of what they received and we just couldn't believe that our customers were receiving these bunches with flowers that were snapped off or the petals were just all over the place or sometimes the wrapping had come off. It was terrible and it was heartbreaking because you put in so much effort to make the experience great from everywhere from the website, which I did end up getting fixed, um, the website through to customer service, through to making the product as good as it can be. And then when it ended up in the customer's hands looking half dead and totally disheveled, it was just, it was devastating. And, you know, obviously to keep a business growing, you need returning customers. And these people weren't going to return to us if they were receiving totally disheveled flowers. 
So I realised I needed to do something about that. And so I brought on one career driver to start with just to service our CBD deliveries. And he was just a godsend. He still works with us today and it totally changed the game for us. It meant people could get flowers when they wanted. So if they ordered them at 9am and they wanted them at 10.30, fine, we can do that. That's no problem. If they wanted them closer to the end of the day, also fine, we could do that, not a worry. It also meant we knew that they would arrive in a really nice state because he actually cared about the business, he cared about the flowers, and he had to come back tomorrow and do the same job again. So if he didn't deliver them in a nice way, then he'd be delivering a fresh bunch to the same person again. So that worked really well. And once we sort of um, tested it with the CBD deliveries, we just rolled it out across the business. And so, yeah, within sort of six months, we just totally changed our business model from using any external third-party couriers to having a full fleet of drivers at Daily Blooms. So part florist, part career company we are now. (laughs) Did that affect your margins, changing your model in that way? It didn't really, actually. So third-party couriers can be crazy expensive. So once we had enough volume, so it's all about volume. Once you've got volume, you can kind of, from my experience, we could make those changes without it impacting our bottom line really much at all. Um, So these days we have a fleet of drivers. They arrive at basically half-hour intervals and every driver will have a van load of deliveries that they are taking out for either like for their run. So it actually doesn't because we've got one driver going to one location in Melbourne. So we've got a driver who literally does Richmond. We've got another driver who does CBD. We've got another driver who does Docklands. We've got another driver who does Port Melbourne, South Melbourne. Like we can keep the deliveries in a nice area. They're not being held in the car for too long. It's yeah, it's really just streamline the process. And and I think once you've got volume, you can you can do that. Mm. It it was challenging in Sydney when we first started and we were trying to use the same model just because we didn't have the volume at, at that early stage. And does the volume or the order quantity day-to-day change at all? Or is it quite predictable, which would help you maintain? You know, yeah. The- so we, we have our busy days. So we always know um, at this stage, we're open Monday to Friday. And we always know that Mondays are going to be busy and Fridays are going to be mental. So we just kind of know that as a pattern, that's going to, going to be how it is. We're always growing. So we always know that um, not every week, but basically every month is going to be a little bit bigger than the month before. So we just know that we need to buy a little bit more every month. And also now that we've been running for five years, we know sort of the peaks and troughs throughout the year. So for example, July school holidays are a really quiet time for us. Whereas September, as soon as it starts to get a little bit warmer, people just go nuts for flowers. Now that we've been going for long enough, we can kind of predict the flows and predict what the daily volumes are going to be pretty pretty well. I mean, sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we get it really, really wrong. But generally, we're, yeah, pretty good at predicting what it's going to be. And do you ever underbuy? Oh, all the time. And so oh. you just run out. <laughs> we just, just run out. Sold out yeah. on the website. Yeah. So, like, I would say maybe two days a week I would underbuy. And it's a problem. <laughs> I need to get better at it, but I would rather underbuy than have leftover stock that we just have to throw out. And I mean, if you're underbuying and you're selling out at 9am, it creates scarcity. And so it just means that people are going to order for tomorrow. And at least then I think, okay, so I just need to buy more flowers for tomorrow. 
you've obviously gone through pretty significant growth since you've started. Yeah, um, <laughs> since it was just since, me. Since it was just you. Shed. Yeah. I'm curious about how you funded that growth. Have you been completely self-funded? Has there ever been a point where you've had to inject some capital into the business to get it to the next stage? No. So it's been entirely self-funded. The great thing about my business is that it's not actually capital intensive. So for me to grow, basically all I need to do is buy more flowers and put maybe another florist on and another customer service person on. We've never done any sort of hardcore advertising or done any enormous PR campaign. It's all been quite organic and sort of quite, I suppose, quite slow growth. Like we've never had something where we've just kind of exploded. It's all been fairly manageable and just like a slow grind over five years, building, building, building. So yeah, we haven't really like, it's it's a great thing about selling flowers. It's just, it's just not that capital intensive. There's one thing that you've said throughout this chat, which is that you've made some really good hires and that a lot of your employees are still with you today. How have you made those hires? Because I know as a small business owner, it can be very difficult to find the right suppliers, the right employees. Where did you find them and how have you retained such good people? Yeah. Um, So my people are everything. Like I am absolutely certain I wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't have the incredible team that I have. So to me, it comes down to a few things. It comes down to finding the right people. And I've done that. I've done that through a few different ways. Like I've gone with the florists. I've just gone directly to the florist schools, floristry schools, I should say. And that's because what I do isn't, we're not doing crazy installations. We're not doing really technical floristry. We're doing pretty basic stuff. So I could get people straight out of school who don't have a huge amount of experience, but know how to do a hand-tied bouquet. So in terms of getting, and then just getting the right person, I don't know. I feel like it's like my one thing that I'm great at. I have a knack at finding good people. So I think I've sort of just been quite lucky at getting some great people, but then it's been really important to me from day dot to have a really great culture in the business. And I think that's something that I learned from my corporate background is culture's everything. If you have a great place where people enjoy coming to work, they like the people that they're working with, there's a really inclusive environment where everyone feels heard and everyone feels like they have responsibility and ownership over their job. I just think it creates a really great environment for everyone. So that's something that I've always been really focused on. We do team building activities all the time. I give everyone a huge amount of autonomy in their role. And I think because of that, they like, that's just paid back in dividends. Like they are always going to try and do the best the best thing for the business and they'll take their job really seriously. And then the other thing is floristry is kind of a team sport. So all of the florists have to work together really, really well. And I think because of that and because we've got the sort of the culture set that it's, you know, a really open and positive work environment, everyone wants to help each other out. Like we don't have competitiveness within the business. We just have that sense that everyone is looking out for each other. Everyone's trying to help everyone do the best job that they can. And I think also having 15 babies born during the time means everyone kind of gets that there are things in life other than floristry. So let's just try and make this a great environment and make things as easy as possible for the team. I mean, there could be a mum who's had no sleep for two nights at work. So if the girls, you know, want to just say, why don't you just go make tea for everyone and we'll just do the work today? Great. That that works. And the fact that they're able to do that 
is just, I don't know, I think it just makes a really nice environment. It means that we don't lose people. Once people start with Daily Blooms, they typically, yeah, they just stay. For everybody out there listening that wants to start their own business, whether it's in floristry or something else, do you have any tips? What are your top tips? So for me, I think you've just got to start. You do need to have a business model that makes financial sense and you've got to test the assumptions and actually make sure, yep, this is this is something that can work. But I also think you can't overthink it because the the challenges and the problems that come up are probably different to what you expect will come up. And you won't necessarily know how to solve for them until you're living it and you're sort of in the depths of running your business. So for me, I think think you should just start and figure it out as you go along. In your words, why do you think you've been successful? I don't know. For Forever, I have always, like I've never just rested on the fact that I've got this business and we sell flowers and that's what we do. I think like literally every day I'm thinking about ways to improve the business and whether that's improving the product or improving our customer service or improving the way things are delivered or improving the website or improving um, our communication on social media. It's just everything. Like I'm always thinking we just need to do something better. And I think just always valuing that, like realising, you know, we're, we're so lucky that people buy our flowers and so I always want to give them something better and a better experience. And finally, what's next for you and what's next for Daily Blooms? So for Daily Blooms, we've got to open up more locations. So I think as a starting point, I think Brisbane, um, hopefully by the end of the year. And then just keep growing. Like I just, I actually kind of now envisage this being a flower platform for the nation. And then who knows where after that. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, lady.brains and head over to ladybrains.com.au to find out more about our events and other cool things that are happening.